Well, today we work on connecting all those stories together, all right? The baby Jesus, the walk on water Jesus, the cross Jesus. Uh, Last week we started with the amazing fact that he came, that he was Emmanuel, that he was God in the flesh. Uh, This morning we continue by saying not only did he come, but he stayed. I, I like how one translation puts this, he moved into our neighborhood, Can you imagine if a neighbor said to you, we have a new neighbor in the neighborhood just down the block, his name is God. What what would you say? Well, you know, our chances for yard of the month are gone. It's just just not going to happen. But Jesus moves into our neighborhood and he stays. What I love about God is God did not come to this earth simply for a photo op. He didn't come for a flyby. Back when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans so awfully, President George W. Bush was roundly criticized because after it happened, he flew Air Force One above New Orleans and looked at the damage, but he never landed. He thought he was doing them a favor because he wasn't interrupting the the rescue mission. But what the people of New Orleans really wanted is they wanted to see their president. They wanted to hear their president. They wanted to be to touch his hands. And thank God we have a God who didn't just fly by. He became one of us. Uh, I love the ESPN specials, the, the 30 for 30 specials. Any of you like those? And one of my favorites on Michael Jordan. And here's the title of the 30 for 30. He rode the bus. Michael Jordan, who you could arguably say back in the 80s, was the most uh, recognizable face on the globe. I can remember going to preach in the Ukraine, and in the hotel lobby, there was a picture of Michael Jordan. But this 30 for 30 special, its point was, when Michael Jordan decided to stop playing basketball and gave, let us say, an unsuccessful shot at baseball... And he joined a double-A team just up the road in Birmingham, the Birmingham Barons. The point of the documentary was he came and he rode the bus. He didn't ask for special treatment. He didn't stay in different hotels. He didn't eat at different restaurants. He rode the bus when he had more money than everybody else combined. And we sort of stand back and we, we stay amazed when famous rich people do everyday things. How much more should we be amazed this morning when we recognize that God in the flesh came among us and lived an everyday life? In fact, he went a whole lot lower than double-A baseball. He went to a barn, a manger, and was born. And that brings us to the verse of the day today, which is John 1, verse 14. John 1, verse 14. Uh, Some scholars say, I've been studying this this week, that this is the most important verse in all of the Bible. Now listen to it just for a second. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That verse is packed. It follows the reading from the beginning of our service that the Word was God. And the Word was eternal. And now we find out He became flesh. I love, I love this verse. I'd like to see you memorize it. I'd like to memorize it, all right? And sometimes I find in memorizing things, it sort of helps if I, I make some hand motion. So here, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I want you all to stand up, all right? 
And we're going to learn John 1, 14 together, all right? Let's see how well we can do. Uh, do your hands like a Bible, okay? Say the word, the word. Became flesh. Rub your hands together. Became flesh. And made his dwelling. Make a house. Among us. Let's see how we're doing. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen him. All right. You got that down pat for me? We have seen him. What does it say next? Obviously, I've not memorized very well. Okay, here we go. Oh, I knew this was going to throw you off, so I've held back. All right. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. Raise your hands. I knew it would happen. All right. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full, make a cross, of grace and truth. Okay, let's, let's start all over, all right? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. All right, you got it down pat, you can be seated, all right? I love that verse because it says so much about Him coming. You see, think about all the options God had. God could have played a Star Trek deal and just beamed Jesus down to the earth, full grown, and let him down the cross. I mean, he could have paid for our sins that way, but, but God wanted to do more than that. Or he could have shown up and, and gotten so disgusted by the world that he left. I used to know a big-time preacher, at least he thought he was a big-time preacher, and if a church invited him to speak, and if he went to their church, and they put him in a hotel that he didn't think was nice enough, he would check out and put himself in a nicer hotel. That, that, that to me was sort of offensive. And the cool thing about God is he didn't check out. He stayed. Now, our question this morning is, why did he stay? Just two answers I want to give you today. First of all, he stayed to communicate. He wanted to communicate clearly to us. And the second we'll see, he came to demonstrate. It was not just a tell thing, it was a show and tell. What did he communicate? Now, some key words in this passage that we need to study together. The first key word is the word, the word, all right? I mean, that's what God is called in this passage, the word. Now, understand that John is writing this book. And he's writing it to a very mixed audience. The people he's writing to, there's a, a, a Greek Gentile component and there's a, is, there's a Jewish component. And John is brilliant here in that he chooses a word, the word, that communicates clearly to both. Uh, because... The word logos is an Italian word. We get the idea, um, the idea of logic from it. And, and because the, the Bible had been translated in the Septuagint version into Latin, all right, it, it communicated both. Now, let's go for it. The Greek, the idea was this prevailing reasoning behind the universe, 
The word logos meant it was the reason behind the universe that held the universe together. The the logic, you might say, behind the universe that held the universe together. And it also carried with it this meaning. It was the final and last word. It summed up every other word. Now, for the Jewish people, it carried even deeper meaning. It was how God revealed himself. When God comes to Abraham, it says, The word of the Lord came to Abraham and showed him in a vision. The word was God's way of letting himself be known. It was also extremely powerful. Uh, Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. One of the most amazing things about creation is that the Bible says, God spoke the worlds into existence. That's the power of the word. So this term was familiar to the Greeks and familiar to the Jews. And, And let's be honest, it's familiar to us. When we think about a word, it's the basic means of communication. It's the way you build a relationship. You can't do it without words. You meet someone, you introduce yourself. You ask about what they do. Let's say if you have romantic interest, you, you, you text them, you call them, you, you ask them out. You go on some dates and again, the most important thing that happens there is that you exchange words and you get to know each other. And if it gets serious, you show up in a place like this and you exchange exchange sacred words it's the way we get to know someone it's the way that we communicate with each other there's a famous communication therapist who talked about how to clearly communicate and he said this to do it it's got to be more than just verbal it's got to be more than just written That's why communication experts would tell you if you're really trying to communicate your heart to someone, a phone call is more effective than a text message. Any of my generation want to say amen? Amen, all right? Because you hear voice tone. But let's go beyond that. The clearest communication is not a text message or a phone call. The clearest way to communicate is face-to-face. Because you see body language, you see facial expression. And 80% of communication is what we call nonverbal. And so we understand this. When you want to communicate, you move beyond the text and beyond the phone call. If you really want to tell someone your heart, you're not about to do it that way. You want to see them face to face. And that's God. God moves beyond the written word. God doesn't just show up on the earth and have a a voice message that the whole world hears. God shows up face to face. It's God's clearest and final word. It's not a letter. It's not a book. It's not a voice. It's himself. So that key is so important. And the, the next key as we keep looking at this passage, is explained God, or he explains God. That's really what John 1.18 says, if you keep reading. Here's how different translations translate this. He has made him known. He's shown what God is like. I like one try. He made him plain as day. But again, my favorite is he explained him. 
God had some explaining to do. And when he wanted to explain himself and what he was really like, he came as a person. Now, many of you may be old enough to remember an old movie called Old God, right? With George Burns and John Denver. Don't really recommend the movie. It's a little distorted theologically and a little bit irreverent. But there is this scene where George Burns, God, shows up in a supermarket with tennis shoes and a fishing cap on. And somebody who knows he's God says, why would you show up that way? And I love George Burns' answer. I picked a look that you could understand. I picked a look you could understand. My friends, that's what God did for us. He picked a look that we could understand. And that's why Jesus can say, John 14, verse 9, if you have seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. He's the perfect picture of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I need that. I need some of my confusion about God to be cleared up. We live in an age of great confusion where we don't know if God shows up just in in nature or God is uh, simply a part of the recreation process, reincarnation, excuse me, or or what. We, We have great confusion. And personally, there are times I've got confusion. Any of you ever been confused by the God of the Old Testament? Raise your hand. It's, it's okay to be honest here. I mean, I'm telling you, if all I had was the Old Testament, and guys, I believe the Old Testament's inspired. Don't get mad at me, all right? But if that's all I had, I don't know I'd have a clear picture of God. You see some great pictures of God. I mean, you, you do see some moments of God's grace. You certainly hear God's truth. But sometimes there's some things that are sort of unexplainable to me. Why does he kill off whole cities of women and children? Why does he split the earth open at some point and people fall in and die? Innocent people. I can't put it together. And that's why Jesus comes. Because it's Jesus who puts it all together. Many people today are rightly confused by all the evil and suffering in the world. When we see gunmen break out on the streets of Paris and in California, and who knows next, and just for no reason, but their propaganda, just murder people, just slaughter people. We read about the Holocaust where an evil man tries to destroy a whole race. I don't know about you, but that's very confusing. There there are times even in our personal lives where life doesn't make sense. And what God does or doesn't do doesn't make sense. Be honest about it. And that's why I love Jesus. Because I can always go back And look at Jesus and know I've got the clearest picture of God. Hebrews 1 says, he is the exact representation of God. 
And so when all these other things confuse me, and I, I don't know how to put them together, I'm not God, I don't understand all the meaning together, I do know where to go. I go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, you know what, I, I can't quite give you a, a, the perfect answer, I can answer some of those things, I can try to come up with a logical explanation, but it won't suffice. But I do know this, if I really want to see God, and you really want to see God, I can turn to Jesus and I can see him clearer than anywhere else. And I, I love what I see in him. So if you're confused today about God, which many are, look at Jesus. So why did he stay? He stayed to communicate. Second, why did he stay? He stayed to demonstrate. The, the, the key word here is we have seen him. And, and, and the word seen here means to carefully scrutinize. To carefully scrutinize. You ever been under a, a microscope? You ever been under a magnifying glass? I remember I was a teenager growing up in church, and we had this old preacher. He was rather eccentric. You never knew what he was going to do, which was sort of fun, until he did it to you. And then one Sunday, I'm sitting with the teenagers, and he puts a chair up on stage, and he calls me up on stage and asks me to sit down. And he takes out a magnifying glass and starts looking through my hair. Here, I, I'm an insecure teenager with lots of dandruff, you know what I'm saying? And, and this guy is magnifying. That, that, that's scary. That's the word used here. When, when God comes to the earth, we have a chance to put him under a magnifying glass. We have a chance to scrutinize him. We have a chance to see him. And here's what's so cool, is that God is able to put together things that we would never, ever have put together on our own. You know what I mean? You know, you, you know when two things come together and make something really awesome? Like when peanut butter and chocolate come together and make a Reese's cup? You go, that, that's good. I like that. Well, th this is far beyond that. Let me give you three things that come together in Jesus that honestly we would have never dreamed before Jesus could have ever come together. Number one is divinity and humanity. He demonstrates them together. The, the, the Bible says here that God became flesh. My friends, that is a crude word. That is the same word that Paul uses to explain our battle between the spirit and the, the flesh. And Jesus takes it on. That's why the Gnostic heretics at the end of the first century were so upset about this idea of in the flesh that they rejected it. But you can't reject it from Scripture. Jesus comes out, he's fully God, he's fully man. And we're shocked at what we see. Because God is personal. He's not simply that logical idea he was to the Greeks. He, he's not that God to the Jews that was so holy, so different, so above you, that you wouldn't even say his name. He's not the God that many of us think that's so far out there, he's untouchable, he's distant. He's one of us. And he displays what it looks like for God and man to come together. He displays what it looks like when God created us in his image. What is that life supposed to look like? It's supposed to look like Jesus. He climbs in with us. I love the story of the, the grandfather and the grandson Grandsons get in trouble by his parents because, you know, our grandfathers, our job is to give them whatever they want, all right? 
Like my grandson George, if you ask him this morning what he wants for Christmas, he'll tell you chocolate. Okay? So he gets lots of chocolate. He gets what he wants, right? But this grandfather's watching his grandson get in trouble. And, and the daughter puts the grandson in the playpen to say, you're going to stay in there until you get this right. And the grandfather, his first, he wants to pull the kid out, but he knows if he does that, he's in trouble with his daughter. So what he does is he gets in the playpen, all right? He gets in there with the baby. And guys, that's the cool story we have here, is that God climbed in with us. And it was powerful. There's a Dr. John Rosen who does a lot of studies and work with people that are severely mentally ill, who, who come to that state of, of being catonic where they, they, they don't respond to anything. And he, he tried all kinds of therapy, all kinds of drugs to get these people who, who stayed laid up on their bed, curled up all day long, saying not a word. How could he change them? He did something radical. Dr. John Rosen moved in to their ward. He talked to them when they didn't talk back. He was there. He touched them. He held them. He lived with them. And the most amazing results happened. Many of the patients came back to life. And my friends, that's what Jesus has done for us. He has come to live with us. He's moved into our neighborhood. And the result is, is that many of us will come back to life. So he's put together God and man. Number two, he's brought together grace and truth. You know, we, we, we look at these things as being objects. You got grace or you got truth. Most churches, we either say, well, this is a church that really emphasizes the truth and comes hard down on the truth, or here's a church that, man, they're just a grace-filled church. And some individuals, you know, they're just so full of grace and so forgiving, and some of us are so unforgiving and so harsh and we normally look at that as opposite extremes. But in Jesus, we see both. We see grace. Luke chapter 11, he's eating at some uptight Pharisee's house. And this woman with this terrible reputation in town breaks in on the dinner. Embarrassingly lets her hair down. Weeps over the feet of Jesus. She's so amazed by him. Wipes her hair over his feet. And everybody's embarrassed but Jesus. And Jesus forgives her. We see a, a little guy named Zacchaeus who climbs up a tree to see Jesus. He was not just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. Nobody wanted anything to do with tax collectors. He was the worst. He deserved the strongest punishment of God. And yet Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And everybody stands outside and is appalled. While Jesus displays grace. But then we also see in Jesus... Incredible truth. When he deals with some Pharisees who wouldn't give grace to anybody, he calls them snakes. That's not a compliment. He says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you ever escape being condemned to hell? He's willing to speak truth. And we see it. We, we, we see it come together. John 8, an adulterous woman is thrown at his feet 
Everybody else is wanting to do what the law says, throw rocks at her. That's what she deserves. But Jesus says, okay, go ahead and throw him. If you don't have any sins, nobody can throw him except him. And he's left with her. And we see the perfect combination of grace and truth. Jesus says to this woman, I don't condemn you, grace. And then he says, go and sin no more, truth. Jesus proves you can have both. And on the cross, we see the truth about humanity is that we're sinners who deserve punishment. And he takes it. But we're also sinners who are loved by God. And he sheds his blood for us. He's the perfect combination of grace and truth. Larry Libby, a writer, puts it this way. He is truth. He is grace. In his truth, Jesus tells me the real story about my life and where I stand. He tells me I'm spiritually dead, booked on a one-way flight to hell, incapable of achieving heaven on my own power, incapable of lifting myself out of my own despair or empty life, or to release myself from habitual sin. But in his grace, Jesus loves me, seeks me, calls me, redeems me, walks with me through the hours of the day and stand guard over the slumber of the night. He put some things together we could have never seen before him. Humanity and divinity, grace and truth, and one more, me and Jesus. Understand who's writing the verses we're studying today. It's the Apostle John. He's talking about him and the disciples. When he said, we've seen it, we've seen it. It's so glorious, you wouldn't believe it. We have seen him, we've seen him, God and man, full of grace and truth. He's explained God to us. It's all starting to make sense. John says, I've seen him. I've seen him first thing in the morning when he woke up. I'm seeing him when he's so tired, he had nowhere to lay his head. I've seen him when he was alone. I've seen him when he's surrounded by a crowd that pressed in on us. I've seen him when he was so sad he wept. I've seen him when he was feasting in full. I've seen him when he was fasting and hungry. I've seen him preach his heart out and people turn away. I've seen him when he was angry. I've seen him when he was rejected as the son of Satan. I've seen him when he was praised as the one who came in the name of the Lord. I've seen him dressed in a dazzling purple robe. I've seen him in loincloth washing my feet. I've seen him confound the greatest religious leaders of his day. I've seen him cuddle a little child in his lap. I've seen his face when it was slapped. I've seen his feet when they were wet from Mary's tear and dried with her hair. I've seen him riding a donkey triumphant into Jerusalem. I've seen him pray so earnestly he sweat drops of blood. I've seen him tortured, carrying his own cross. I've seen him dead. I've seen him buried. I have seen the resurrected Christ, and I've seen him ascend. I've seen a God 
who came and didn't just come, he stayed. He stayed to save me. And John says, I've discovered the craziest thing, the the, the thing I would have never put together, which is me and God. Let me ask one question as we close. Aren't you glad he came? Aren't you glad he stayed? What would we not know if he had not stayed? What would he have not known about God and about us and about truth and about grace if he had not come and moved into our neighborhood? If he had not rode the bus with us? If he had not come and explained himself by words and by demonstration? What would he have known? Here, here's, here's what I know. Here's what, here's what I love. I know this. I know this without, after looking at Jesus. I know I love him. Now, let's just make it simple this morning. How about you? Do you love him? I, I don't know how you could look at him and not love him. I know I love him, and that's, that's, that's good. But let me tell you what is truly amazing, truly amazing, is I know he loves me. I get it that I would love him. He's perfect. I don't get it that he would love me. I'm far from perfect. So the word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Father, the one and only Son, who's come from the Father, full of grace and truth. This Christmas, if you need to embrace not just the baby Jesus, but the Lord Jesus and the crucified Jesus, why don't you come today? If if today you have been living in confusion in the crazy culture we live in, the crazy views of God, and often even the things that are difficult to explain about God, and we could pray for you to come out of the confusion. Maybe it's because of a loved one you've lost. Maybe it's because of a situation in your life that makes no sense in how, how did God let it happen. But you go back to Jesus, and you go, you know what? I, I'm confused, but, but when I want the clearest picture I see Jesus, and I love him. And even more radical than that, he loves me. If you need to come, why don't you come right now as we stand and sing?